Will you guys go ahead and turn there, please? Turn to Matthew uh, 8, and uh, why don't you go ahead and stand? We're going to read verses 5 through 13. Beginning in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 8, it says, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and, and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. Only speak a word, for my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled, and he said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the, of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the, centur to the centurion, go your way, and as you have believed, let it uh, be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Lord Jesus, we come to you tonight, and we come and we want to uh, recognize, uh, first of all, the authority of your word uh, over our lives. Lord, we stand in recognition of that. And uh, the reason it is because you have authority. And so, Lord, uh, teach us tonight about that authority. Lord, I pray, Lord Jesus, that uh, you would just, uh, we, we would just be able to maybe readjust or re-understand or, or maybe understand for the first time really what um, a faith, Lord, that you desire looks like. And I, I would pray, Lord Jesus, you would minister to us. You've already ministered to me through the worship. I thank you for that. And I just want to pray that you just continue to bless this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, have a, a seat. <clears throat> you know, Luke 18.8 <clears throat> 8 says, uh, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Now, that's an interesting question because, you know, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that express faith, right? I, I mean, uh, there's, uh, you, you know, a lot of people will say, well, they believe in God. Uh, there's a lot of people uh, out there that say that they uh, will even say, well, I, I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross. They'll say, I believe they res res resurrected. Yet, you know, what's interesting is if you take a look at their lives, it would be, I mean, it's not really that much different than a lot of the world around them. And, you know, it seems to be an interesting question that he asked here because it seems like uh, really uh, in the last days, that's what he's talking about, right? It seems like faith, this faith is going to be rare that he's talking about. There's going to be this rare faith. We do know that from 1 Timothy 4.1, remember what it says there. It says, the Spirit expressively says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. We also know from uh, other scriptures, we know that there's going to be this great apostasy that's going to take place. So it seems like, you know, really there's this kind of this rarity of faith, even though, like I said before, there seems to be when you talk to people, uh, at least certainly from what I see, some people that would be professing Christians, they seem to have the faith, but it doesn't seem like there's just kind of this, really this life that's really following that type of faith. You know, uh, when it talks about the great apostasy, it talks about this great falling away. You know, uh, I've, uh, for, I've been in ministry for a little over 30 years now, and one thing that I know that as a pastor, no one just falls away uh, overnight. 
It's a very gradual thing. It's an inch-by-inch thing. It's almost like, you know, one of those uh, avalanches, right, or, or, or a, a landslide. You, know, you watch one of those avalanches, and what happens? It's just an inch-by-inch, isn't it? And then it just kind of keeps collecting, and it gives way, right? That's the way it is, really. It's the same way when someone falls away from faith. So, you know, if we look at the condition, really, of faith and professing believers t- today, I think maybe we can kind of get, maybe get a measure, you know, hey, where are we? Where are we in the last days? That's one of the measures, I think, that we could really uh, look at. You know, where, uh, how close are we to uh, Jesus, you know, coming again? I was hoping he was going to come in that song that we we're singing. I mean, man, I got, boy, you guys do such a great job of that song. I just wanted to come now, Jesus, that'd be awesome, but... You know, um, you, you know, uh, uh, there's a recent uh, Barna report I looked up. This is I looked it up early earlier this year, and uh, here's what it has to say about people who profess to be evangelical Christians. It says that only nine percent have a biblical worldview. Only nine percent of uh, evangelical Christians have a biblical worldview. Now, what do we mean by a biblical worldview? A biblical worldview, it, it means that it's the Bible is shaping uh, w- their entire view of how we live. Uh, it's, uh, it shapes uh, someone's values. Uh, it shapes their definition of right and wrong. Uh, when someone has a biblical worldview or a worldview, any worldview, a worldview, it shapes w- how they think about things such as marriage or, or gender or uh, sex, or life, or morality. Uh, it shapes what you really believe about uh, truth. And so, I mean, you know, you think about that. What that means is it means that, you know, the other, uh, you know, I, I mean, there's people that, I mean, I'm sure everyone here, all of our worldview, or I sure hope so, that your worldview is coming from the Word of God. But think about that. 91% of Christians, professing Christians, evangelical Christians, have some other worldview that they're getting their worldview from other than the Word of God. It's not wholly based upon the Bible. Now, I like the the description that someone said of a worldview. Uh, Someone explained it to me this way, uh, and I really like it. It says, you know, worldview, what it's like. It's like a it's like one of those jigsaw puzzles, right? So you buy that jigsaw puzzle and you have that picture in the front, right? Well, if you put all those parts together, you're going to get that picture, aren't you, right? So see, really for a biblical worldview, what we do is we want all of everything, we want all of our ideas about life to be coming from this box, to be coming from the word of God. That will shape a correct worldview. But what this means is it means that 91% of evangelical Christians have a worldview really from multiple boxes. And really what they're doing is they're mixing boxes and they're putting together something that doesn't look right. It doesn't even really make sense. It oftentimes it's contradictory, but they don't care. They don't care because it doesn't make any difference. It's just what works for them. See, guys, that's where we're at. And, you know, really what it's telling us is it's telling us that 91%, according to the Barna uh, study, they don't recognize the Bible as the absolute authority in their lives. 91% do not have a faith that is under God's authority. And that's really what we're going to talk about tonight. That's what the, 
you know, that's what the, uh, the title of the message is, is a faith under authority and how important is a faith under authority. And what is a faith under authority? What does it look like? You know, we read this account here in Matthew chapter 8. It's very interesting, isn't it? In all of Jesus' encounters, there's only one faith that he said was great. Isn't it amazing? We look at this guy, this centurion. It's the faith of this centurion. This man who, what? He understood authority, didn't he? He was a man under authority. He understood it. He, he, he got it. He understood authority. He, he knew what it meant to have authority. And he knew what it meant to also to live under authority. So really, because I don't know about you, I want to have a faith that's under authority. Under the authority of God. I, I, don't want, I want to be, I, I don't, when, when Jesus comes, I, I want to be that person where he's not going to say, well, will I find faith? Yeah, I, I want you to find faith. I want you to at least find it here. So we can learn really what a, a lot from, the, from, this, from this guy. Let's just get into it again. Let's take a look at uh, verse 5. It says, now when Jesus had entered uh, Capernaum, it says, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed dreadfully tormented. So Jesus, he comes into Capernaum and he meets, uh, he's met by the centurion of a Roman army. Now, you guys probably know about centurions. You guys are well taught here, but, you know, just as a reminder, they were like the sergeants. Centurion means that they were over a hundred men. Now, these guys were battle-hardened men. These guys were known for not being sissies. These guys were the tough guys, okay? I mean, they were absolutely uh, insensitive to any type of pain, any type of suffering. The way that someone became a centurion is they rose up through the ranks in battle. They were proven in battle. You know, you didn't become a centurion because you just knew someone. No, it's because you were in battle and you survived those battles and you did what really needed to be done. These are these, they're a no-nonsense type of guy. Yet, you know what, when we see with this man, as we read through the story, we see a different side to this man, don't, don't we? Very, very interesting. He has a tender heart towards his servant, doesn't he? And now, that wouldn't be a common quality for a sin centurion. Centurion just wouldn't care, right? So really, but this guy, something's different. Something has changed this man. And I don't, and really, it's not something has changed him, but it's someone has changed him. Now, Luke, it's very interesting because Luke, he also, uh, you know, he writes about this account. Luke tells us about this man that he loved the Jewish nation. Uh, we also know that he, uh, you know, built them a, a synagogue. He was uh, what we call a God-fearer, uh, someone who was a non-Jew who believed in uh, a monotheistic God. Uh, they believed the scriptures. And because of that, now think about that, uh, this man, he would have known, he would have known the prophecies of the Messiah. He would have known them because he would have heard them. Uh, he was a God-fearer. He was familiar with the scriptures. So I really believe that this Roman soldier, I believe this Roman soldier has come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, why is that? Well, notice when he comes to Jesus, what does he do? He calls him Lord, doesn't he? He calls him Lord. He recognizes the lordship of Jesus. This man who was, I mean, think about this. This man who I believe, you know, was just like every other centurion. He was a hardened, insensitive, just pagan man, this pagan soldier. He's been touched by God. He's been touched by God, and he's come to realize, I believe, that Jesus is his Lord. And 
it's changed him. It's absolutely changed him. I mean, what a wonderful truth. Isn't that a wonderful truth? Isn't it a wonderful truth to grasp that Jesus takes hardened and calloused hearts, hearts of stone, uh, and he turns them into, you know, hearts of, of flesh? What a wonderful thing. I mean, think of the things that this battle-hardened soldier may have seen. Think of the tragic things that he probably experienced, the horrible things in war that can't be forgotten. I mean, think of those things that weigh upon such men. You know, the, the PTSD that this man may have had, and yet his life has been changed. It's been absolutely changed. His heart has been made soft. Think, I mean, all the horrible things of the past that were done to him and things certainly that he did, things that he did have no power over him. He's changed uh, because he's yielded his life to a greater power, hasn't he? He's yielded his life to the greatest authority. He's yielded his life to Jesus Christ. He's given his life over to the authority of the one, remember, as it says in Isaiah 53, who makes the rough places smooth, right? He makes the crooked places straight. He fills up the valleys, doesn't he? He brings down the high mountains. That's the one, and he makes a highway to our heart. This man has been affected by Jesus in that way. He's learned this is the one, this is the, my authority over my life. And once indifferent to the unsuffering, I think probably of anyone, now he has a soft heart. A soft heart that brings him to Jesus pleading for healing so this man, think about this, and this is one thing for us, and maybe this is a point that we can really think about and apply to our lives. This man, under authority, knew where to take the lame and the tormented, didn't he? Do we know where to take the lame and the tormented? We should. We should. We should take him right to Jesus, should, shouldn't we? He's the one who's able to change anybody in any situation. Now, now look how Jesus responds to him. It's very interesting in verse 7. It says, Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Now, that's not what the man intended. He didn't ask for that, did he? And, uh, you know, uh, it, it was more than he had asked. You know, it, it, but, you know, the thing is, it's just the opposite of what he was expecting. And, and we know that from verse 8, because notice what he says in verse 8. It says, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. So the centurion says, you know what, you know, I'm not even worthy, you know, to, for you to come into my home. Just say the word. Now, I, I find this very interesting because in John chapter 4, remember when the nobleman, the, the nobleman who was a Jewish uh, nobleman, he was like a, a ruler, he comes to Jesus, remember, and he asks Jesus to come and to heal his son. And what does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't go down. And what does he do? He just sends his word, doesn't he? He sends his powerful word. That's, that's what he does. Here in this case, isn't it interesting? Here in this case, uh, this is not a child of a Jew. This is a servant of a Gentile. And Jesus seems to be more willing to say, I will go. He doesn't just send a word, does he? I mean, it's very interesting. I mean, in the eyes of society, this servant would be the least. It'd be the absolutely worthless person. And it's, it's almost as if the Lord here pays greater attention to those whose rank is lower. 
think that's very interesting. I think it's very true of our Lord. He says, I will come and heal him. We see here in this, one thing that we see is, is how often the Lord grants more than what we ask. Isn't that wonderful? We're asking for something, and sometimes we don't get it, and then God gives us something better, doesn't he? I mean, he oftentimes, he's, he wants to bless us. He wants to bless us greatly, doesn't he? And so often, he gives us more than what we ask. And, 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 and how he's tender and considerate here towards those who are the lowest, the needy and the poor. It seems like he goes out of his way to those who are of lower rank. He's no respecter of persons, as men see people. I think it's a good reminder for us. It's a good reminder for us as believers. It's good for reminders of us as a church that the true measure of spirituality in a person or a true measure of spirituality in a church, it isn't in how we treat those who have honor. It's not how we treat those. You know, it's, it's in the way that we treat and we take care of those who have nothing, those who are at a disadvantage, those who are considered outcasts, those who really ha have nothing to offer us. I tell you what, I keep that in mind all the time. I, 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 we at our church, we got homeless people that camp in front of our church. And I, I always, I got to tell them to move on. You know, we just, they just can't be, be there. And I tell you what, I, I, I tell you, I, sometimes I can just get a little bit too chippy. I can get a little bit too callous, you know. Uh, just the other day, we had one in front of there, and she, I pulled in, and it was kind of a, I was kind of rushed that morning anyway, and I'm always the first one there, you know. And, and she says, do you know what time it is? I says, yeah, it's time to move on. That wasn't the best thing for me to say, but you know what? It was like, you know, it's just, it just, you know, and I go, I had to stop. I go, well, hold on just a minute. And she goes, you know, and so I invite her to church and everything. But, you know, that's a whole nother story. But guys, you know what? I tell you what, we should be, you know, watching out for those people. Now, now let's get back to where we were. Let's consider the qualities uh, that this soldier displays that reveals his great faith. It's really in verses 8 through 10. Notice in verse 8, once again, he says, the centurion answers, says, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. So what are the qualities that we can learn from this man? What are the qualities about a great faith? Well, number one, he believes Jesus' words have power and authority, doesn't he? He believes that. He feels it's not necessary. It's not necessary for you to come to my home. The great physician, all you have to do is you have to say the word. Lord, just speak the word and my servant will be healed. And by saying that, you know what he's doing is he's professing that Jesus has all power and authority, doesn't he? And how do we know that? Because he understands authority, doesn't he? He says, hey, I'm under authority. You're under authority. I understand that you have authority. You have authority. All you got to do is say a word. That's how he comes to that conclusion. He's a soldier. A soldier understands how authority works. He draws a parallel between himself and Jesus. He says, for I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go. And he goes to another, come. And he comes and to my servant, do this. And he does it. The power I have, he says, is because of the authority that I'm under. He says, I am under the authority of Rome. And since I'm under the authority of Rome, I can, I can say certain things, and Rome stands behind me. He understands that. He's under the authority of Caesar. He understands that. You know? And without that authority, he says, I got no power, none whatsoever, no influence at all. And I think what he's saying, he says, Lord, I see what you're doing. I see your power. 
I see what you're doing. You have power over sin. You changed my life. You have power over all of these different things. I see you. You have power over sickness. And because you have that power, it means that you're under great authority. You're under the greatest authority, the authority of God. You guys, it's a good reminder that the power that we have or the power that, we, that we've placed ourselves under are not under. And oftentimes, Christians will not experience the power of the resurrection working in their life because they are not placing themselves under, really, the authority of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that they're not saved. It doesn't, it's not a salvation thing. They're not really just placing their lives under the authority of Jesus Christ. But those who do, they know that power. It's not enough to believe. It's not enough to know. It's not enough to have fond feelings. In order to have any kind of power or any kind of influence, we must be under authority. And if someone or someone has an authority over them, you know what it means? It means that they're in submission to that authority. Now, we can say that I'm in submission, but what does that submission look like? Well, the centurion tells it, doesn't he? Notice what he says here. It's going to look like a soldier following orders, right? That's what our submission should look like, like a, a soldier following orders, right? You don't ask questions, you just do, right? That's the uh, uh, idea. So a soldier following orders is going to do what they're told to do. That's basically, you know, that's, that's, that's it. You know, uh, uh, this, it's, it's going to look like a, a, a soldier uh, following a command or a servant doing what they're commanded to, to do. So a faith that's under authority, it's going to have those same qualities. Now, here's some things that all people under authority uh, have in common. There's some certain things that they have in, in common. One is complete obedience. And that's what he's really saying here. The centurion says, hey, look, I'm a man under authority. I have soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes to another, come, and he comes. And my servant to do this, and he does it without hesitation, without question. Now, let me ask you guys, let's make this personal. Is that a distinction that we have? Do we have that distinction in our life? Do I obey the Lord without question and without hesitation? Is my faith under that kind of authority? Can God tell me to go and I'll go? Will I do and will he, can he tell me to do and I'll do without question and without hesitation? Is that a distinction that's in my life? You know, a servant or a soldier has a single-minded submission to their commander and to their commander's desires. And they don't do anything apart from his authority. So do we do anything apart from his authority? Now, I'm going to use this example because this is one of the things that I kind of see. You know, there's a lot of Christians uh, moving out of California today. A lot of Christians moving out of California. Happened down in our church. Happens in a lot of churches now. You know, when I ask people, I'll ask them, you know, you know, why? Why are you moving out of California? Well, here's their typical answers. Well, because of the politics, rising prices of everything, you know, uh, the schools are a cesspool, you know, the governor, uh, you know, overreach of government and our family and our finances, you know, and our freedoms. And let me tell you what, guys, I understand and I sympathize with all of that. But you know what? 
you know what it's telling? Is that when I ask them the question, I ask them this question, why are you leaving? No one ever says, I have yet to have any of them say, because the Lord told me to do it. And, you know, uh, what will happen is, you know, I mean, they bring up all those other things. It's those other things that are really, you know, telling them. You know, and I'll ask them, well, well did you pray? And, you know, they'll, they'll give you the biblical answer, right? Well, 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 yeah, you know, and I believe it's God's will. Well, why do you believe that? And sometimes they'll say, well, you know, well, why would God want me and my family to stay in a situation like that? Well, actually, why wouldn't he? Because you know what? Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 16 says this. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. They put it on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The light is supposed to shine in the darkness. Light is not supposed to be around a bunch of other light. Well, I mean, that's good. I like being to here tonight. This is light against light. But then we come out. Of, we go out of here. We're supposed to shine in the darkness. That's the purpose of the church. Philippians two fourteen. As children of God, we are in the midst of a crooked. Uh, uh, we're in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. Now here's the thing. If God had really told them to go it would have been the first thing out of the mouth, right? It wouldn't have been all those other reasons. Oh, well, God told me to go, right? See, it's really telling when people really kind of whatever they lead with. They would have led with that. Now, I'm not saying that that can't be the case, and if that's the case, I'll, I'll help people pack. Let me help you pack. If God told you to go, let's do it. Let's go. But you know what? It's not God's authority that's telling them, you know what? And that's just, it's, you know, what it is. It's just their, their own understanding, what they think is really, really best. And guys, that's really dangerous. It's really, really dangerous. You know, one person told me, uh, says, well, you know, what we did is we knew we wanted out of California, so we tried to find the place with the least amount of natural disasters. And they did all this research, and they ended up with Kentucky. <laughs> and they moved to Kentucky... And, uh, and it was like two months later, they had unprecedented flooding in Kentucky. <laughs> you know, it's just like, guys, you can't, it's like, where's the safest place for us to be in God's will? That's the safest place for us to be. We shouldn't be with our natural minds just trying to figure these things out. Guys, when we're under God's authority, it keeps us safe. It keeps us safe. And we need to be under God's authority in order to be safe. Now, notice the quality of his obedience. It's consistent, immediate, without hesitation, without question. Guys, does that define our obedience? Does that de define it? It should. You know, I, um, I, I got a just quick story I, I tell you. You know, last winter, man, it was really rained a lot. And down in Woodland, I was headed towards the post office, and I saw this guy, this homeless guy, and he was, uh, he was just, it was raining so hard, and it, he was drenched. He, all he had was, he had a blanket over him, and uh, he was a, just a cotton uh, jacket on, and he was drenched. Now, I had just gotten a brand new, just beautiful, just, it was a Sims, uh, just a beautiful, absolutely just wonderful rain jacket. Red jacket, I just really love this thing, it's wonderful. And I'm driving by, right, and you know what the Holy Spirit says? You need to give him that jacket. And so what I did is I kept on driving. 
<laughs> I went down to the post office and I went through there and I'm praying, okay, well, Lord, if he's, if he's there on the way back, you know, or, you know and, I, and at the same time, I'm thinking, do I have like a, is like a garbage bag in here or something I can give him, you know, and all this other. I'm trying to think of all these different ways, right? And so I'm driving back and I don't see him and the Holy Spirit says, he's at the, he's at the 7-Eleven. And that's where they all hang, hang out. It wasn't some great revelation. So I went down to 7-Eleven because it's right there. And there he was. I came out and I says, hey, I just want you to know, God told me to give you this jacket, you know. And, and I tell you, there wasn't anything great, like earth shaking that happened or anything like that, you know. And, you know, and I prayed for him and everything and, you know, explained the gospel to him and everything. And, and um, so, but, you know, I, I walked away from that just going like, you know, I, I know I did what God wanted me to do. Now, now, lest you think I'm a hero of all my stories, there's a backstory to that. Because about five or six years ago, there was a young man uh, who got a hold of me. I used to be a youth pastor. And he got a hold of me, and he was really going through some tough stuff. And he called me, and he called me a lot. And, and, and so, you know, I, I, uh, 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 there's, you know, I just talk. Sometimes he just wanted to just talk about, you know, nothing of suicidal, just, you know, just movies or whatever and just different, different, different things. And, and, you know, and it's one of those things where I just wanted to be, be there for him. Well, you know what? He called me one night. It was actually, it was on New Year's Eve. And I was, uh, tr I was getting ready. I had to get up early in the morning because I was going to go hunting. And, you know, I, uh, I, 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 the Lord told me to get that call. And in my mind, I go, I just, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to spend another half an hour just talking about movies and things like that, you know. And I, I did not pick up the phone. And I found out the next day he had hung himself. You know, guys, I, I, you know, I tell you, one thing that happened to me is, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't sacrifice, right? And let me tell you what, Satan had a heyday with me. He had a heyday with me, and let me tell you what. Obedience keeps us safe. It keeps us safe from, from, from that. You know, James says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You know, and some may say, well, you know, Pastor Doug, how do you carry that burden around? And let me tell you what, I don't carry it around. Jesus does. Jesus carries that burden. You know, I, I, one thing, I mean, I look at some pastors like Eddie, and they have it all together. You know, I don't have it all together. I know what I have is I have it all apart, and Jesus puts it all together. You know, I, I, am, I know I'm saved by grace. One thing all these things do is it tells me I know I'm saved by grace. And you know what? And although I'm an idiot, you know what? Even an idiot that submits to the authority and just simply obeys his commander is useful to the commander. And I'm always reminded that God just makes straight lines with crooked sticks. And that's all that I am. And I'm just thankful that he can do that. Now, another quality of someone under authority is they not only obey, but they're engaged in what they're called to do, aren't they? A soldier is engaged in battle. Firefighters are engaged in firefighting. Police officers are engaged in eating donuts, I mean, enforcing the law. <laughs> Guys, if we're called to be a soldier, we're going to be on the battlefield, right? That's what soldiers are told to do. A firefighter is going to be out there fighting fires. That's what they're supposed to do. Police officers are going to be out there on the street. Guys, someone who has their faith under authority and Jesus as their master 
they're going to be engaging in their master's purpose and calling. I saw this quote from a Scottish preacher that defines that purpose well. And I like this. It just really spoke to my heart. I simply plead that the cross be raised again. At the center of the marketplace, as well as on the steeple of the church, I'm calling us to remember that Jesus was not crucified in a cathedral between two candles, but on a cross between two thieves, on a town garbage heap, at the crossroads of, of politics, principles, and so multicultural that they had to write its title in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, and and at, the, and at the kind of place where cynics talk smut, thieves curse, and soldiers gamble, because that's where he died, and that's what he died about, and that's where Christ's own ought to be, and that's where the church people ought to be about. Isn't that what we should be about? We're the only ones that can bring it out there. We're the ones that have the one. We, have, we are under the authority of the one that makes the rough places smooth that the crooked place is straight, right? That, that, that fills up the valleys and brings down the mountains. You know, I love, I love watching the Jesus Revolution movie because you know what, it reminded me, reminded me really of our heritage and what really Calvary Chapel is about, that it was started by a man who just had a faith under authority, didn't he? Chuck just says, well, yeah, let's just see what's gonna happen, let's just do it. Right? I mean, that's defined Chuck. He was a man that was under authority. And because of that faith, look at what the Lord did. I, I close with this. Luke 18, 8, we go back to that. You know, remember what he said. He says, when a son of man comes, he'll rely. Will he really find faith on the earth? You know, when Jesus said that, you, do you know what he was saying that in relationship to? It, it's it, 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 prayer. He spoke a parable. Remember, he says, men always ought to pray and not lose heart. And remember, it, the parable was of the widow, and she was seeking justice, right, from an unrighteous judge. And, and she couldn't get it, so she persisted every single day. And, you know, he says, you know, I, because she wants, because she's going to just continually wear, wear me out. Guys, my final point is this. Does that define our prayer life? Does that define our prayer life? It's a challenge to me. And what Jesus is saying is that faith is demonstrated through prayer. And if our faith is under God's authority, we're going to be praying and we'll be persistent in prayer. A man under authority, a person under authority, prays and continues to pray. You know, I heard this story. This guy told me this story. I closed with a story about prayer. He told me that his father was a youth pastor. And he said that um, as a youth pastor, he says, one of the biggest things was when, the, uh, w when you go from grade school into the youth ministry, right? Oh, man, that's just a big day. You know, and so, you know, it was the day for that to happen. And, you know, the sixth graders were coming into the youth ministry. He says, and there's this one kid, his name was Chucky. And, you know, Chucky, um, you, you know, uh, uh, was just excited, really, to be that. Well, the, what his dad, he says, what my dad decided to, to do, and the guy was telling me the story, he was much, much older. He says he decided to do this uh, thing where he called it target prayer, where he says, what we're going to do is we're going to ask everyone to just uh, give us a name of someone that they know to be saved, and we're going to write it on this yellow piece of paper, and then what we're going to do, and they had this target in the youth room, and uh, they had this target, and so uh, you put the uh, 
you, you stick the note on the outside and it has that person's name on it. And then when you share with that person or the person, uh, and, you know, it moves in a little bit closer. And when they get saved, we'll put it in the center of the target. Well, Chucky, uh, he raised his hand. He's the first one. I know, I know, I know. I want, I want to pray for my dad. Now, here's the thing. Everyone knew Chucky's dad. Chucky's dad was not a nice guy. He was known for being antagonistic. He would purposely try to stumble people. He was just a mean dude. He was not a nice guy. And he says, my dad, he says, when he tells the story, he says, okay, yeah, okay. I mean, in his mind, he's thinking like, okay, that's never going to happen. But yeah, right? But yeah, of course, you know, we're, we're going to write it down. We're going to put, put, put it up there. Well, Chucky was just like 14 then. So what happens is year after my dad, every single time, and Chucky would not give up. And then what happened, Chucky is 17. He's almost ready to graduate the youth group. And so what happens is uh, they have this night, this uh, youth night, uh, where they have the uh, youth choirs, what it is. And so uh, this guy's dad, he's leading it. So he's got his back to the audience. And what it is, they, the youth choir uh, would sing, and then what, what would happen is then the pastor would come up and give a gospel message. And so, and so he says, as he, his dad, he says he's, he's directing, he's directing uh, everyone. He tells everyone to stand up, all the youth to stand up. Everyone's standing up except for Chucky. And Chucky's, and he's, first he's going like, Chucky, what are you doing? And he looks, and Chucky's as white as a sheet. And he, and he looks, and he goes, he's, Chucky, what are you doing? And he goes, Chucky goes, my dad is back there. He goes like, oh. So they go, they do their song and everything. And so the pastor comes up, gives the gospel message. And then the whole youth co group comes up again, and they do just as I am. That's the final thing. And he says that the man, he says his dad, he says he, says he, he didn't even have to, he says he couldn't look behind him, but he knew what was going on because he looked over at Chucky and streams of tears were coming down his face. And he knew his dad was walking the aisle. And he says, the song got done. And he says, he says, Chucky leaped over the banister and went over and embraced his, his dad. And everyone in the church was just, because everyone knew this guy, going like, wow. And that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is he says, yeah, he says, my dad, he says, later on that night, he says, this is what happened to my dad. He says, my dad, he was the youth pastor, so he's the one that always had to lock up. So everyone was kind of out in the parking lot, and everything's kind of dispersed. And his dad didn't think that anyone else was in the, in the, in the, in the building. And, and, and then uh, he says, uh, but he looked in the youth room, and there's Chucky. <laughs> and he takes the pin out, and he goes right into the center. And he says, thank you, Lord, for saving my dad. And he said, you know what my dad did? He says he went back to his office and he wept like a baby because it took a seventh grader to teach him what faith was about. It took a seventh grader to teach him what it meant to have a faith under authority. Guys, prayer is so important if we're going to have a faith under authority and persistent prayer. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you just really...
I know you just ministered to my heart in this area and just really teaching me things. Lord, I just want to be a man that is under your authority. I pray for all of us, Lord. We all fall short, Lord, every single one of us. I'm thankful for grace. I'm not here without grace. I'm not making it anywhere without grace. I'm thankful for that. But, Lord, we want to also, we want to be those people that you designed us to be, that we would have a great faith, that you would come and say, there's a great faith here because it's under your authority, Lord. Show us if we're lacking. We know that you will uh, make up for that. And, Lord, we just want to, uh, Lord, just to be your servants. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.